How we doing? How's everybody today? Good. My name is Tanner. It's good to be with you. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to keep walking through Philippians in our series called To Live Is Christ. Somebody say, To Live Is Christ. That's right. This morning, I want to bring up a word to you, and that word is called practice. Somebody say, practice. I know some of your minds go to the famous interview with the 757 legend that is Allen Iverson, where he says the word practice like 50 times. Okay? It's a great story, actually. You should go watch the documentary on his life and why that, that interview went down that way. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about the word practice. The, the idea of practice, we understand generally, but it also has a lot of truth in the Bible as well. And really what practice is, y'all, if you think about it, is trying to do something in private over and over and over until it's what you can't help but do publicly. I remember a commercial in high school, and it went something like this. The difference between an amateur and a professional. An amateur does something until they get it right. I remember high school football practices where we kept doing it just till we got one good rep. And the pros do it till they can't get it wrong. So you see, the, the difference isn't the potential, the difference is what's become normalized, right? So they say practice makes perfect, and that sometimes can be true, but it's actually more true that practice makes permanent. What you practice becomes your presence. You see, what, what is happening in an individual is that they are practicing something until they embody the thing that they're practicing. So Paul, in our text here today, he used that in verse 9, okay? And he gives us a lot of things to do here today. He does, just straight up, a lot of imperatives, a lot of verbs, if you will. But he's never asking us to practice something so we can say we're good at the practice. He wants us to be thinking about the presence he wants us to embody. So we're going to be talking about practicing, but not for the sake of practice, but practicing ourselves into a presence. We're going to be talking about practicing presence. The title of the sermon is Practice Presence. And my hope for you, if you follow Jesus, is that you would recognize you have been gifted the presence of Jesus in your life. That is salvation. You've been given the gift. We just sang about it. You've been gifted a life with Jesus, not by the good you have done, but by the free gift of faith in him. So my hope for us is that we would learn to practice a gift we have we, we are entering God's presence, not earning God's presence. Amen? And we're going to practice that as we read God's Word. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, uh, I hope that by the end of this sermon, you will long to know this God who has gifted His presence to us that we get to practice. That you would long to know the God of peace, as verse uh, 9 points out to us. So to do that, we're going to look at the four types of presence that Paul wants us to practice in this text. We're going to talk about practicing a gentle presence, a united presence, a thoughtful presence, and then practicing the presence of God. If you are ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, let's start with talking about practicing a gentle presence. I'm going to read verses 2 through 5 one more time. It said, I entreat you, Oidia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness amen, somebody, be known to everybody. The Lord is at hand. 
Okay, so Paul is continuing his letter. He's been talking about unity a lot in this letter. And this is the moment where that conversation gets a name, okay? Like these two sisters who are key leaders, Euodia and Syntyche, are having an issue, an issue in the church. We're not told what the issue is, but we know that they're having an issue. And Paul says, these are my co-laborers. These are my people. Like he knows them by name. He cares about them. He says they are my co-laborers with Clement. Clement wrote some epistles that you can go read about in church history. So they're on the same level as Clement. It's pretty cool. And Paul says, these are my co-laborers. And just real quick to the, to the women of this church, I want you to hear that we are all in this church co-laborers. Somebody say co-laborer. That means like we are laboring co, like we doing it together, okay? Together, that's what we're doing. Uh, our city needs a co-laboring. It, we can't do what God has set us out to do without each other. We want to co-labor. We need to co-labor. We must co-labor together uh, for God to do in us and through us what, what I believe he wants to do. Amen? So he is calling them to agree in the Lord. And we don't really know exactly what the issue is. He goes so far as to say, uh, and I entreat you, true companion, your Bible probably has a note above that. And if you read down, it says uh, this could mean the name of somebody named Syzygus. Okay, so basically some translations think Paul is telling a certain person to help them agree. Some think he's telling like the whole church to help them agree. We don't really know, and we don't even know what they're arguing about. But the fact that they're so prominent in the community, it's probably not like a petty difference. It's probably like we actually have a disagreement that matters. And his, his call to them is to say, hey, agree in the Lord. And it rises to my mind. Some of y'all might be familiar with the story from the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. You don't need to turn there, but it happens in chapter 5, where the people of God are about to go into Jericho. And it's the night before, and Joshua is walking, and he walks up to a man you know, a, a person of the Lord we know as we're reading the text, and it says, he says to him, hey, are you for us or for our adversaries? Meaning, are you for us or Team Jericho? And he goes, neither, but I am the leader of the army of the Lord. And Joshua, uh, and he says, and I have come, and Joshua falls on his face. And then he says, take your, take your shoes off. The place on your standing is holy ground. So that's how we know, like, this is some sort of theophany, a, a manifestation of the Lord's presence. Um, but I think of that because sometimes when there's a sharp disagreement, we think the Lord's on a side. You would think for sure he'd say, I'm on y'all's side, not Jericho's, right? That's the side you on. But even in that, he didn't say, I'm on your side. He says, I, I'm not on a side, but I lead the Lord's army. And so sometimes when we're in a disagreement, I think the Lord, it, it's a similar posture. It's like agree in the Lord. It doesn't mean, it, it just means there comes a point where you've got to worship your way out of your disagreement. Are you with me? He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice is the great equalizer, isn't it? Somebody say rejoice. So it's agree in the Lord. Then it says rejoice in the Lord. Then it says let your reasonableness be known to everybody. And if I could say that word, it'd be great. But it means be gentle with one another. So we got agree, rejoice, be gentle with everybody. Let your gentleness be the first thing people interact with your presence. The first thing they should feel from you is how gentle you are, Christian. And so the point is you go from disagreement to a gentle presence, and what's in between those is rejoicing. That's because the word rejoice, joy, joy, like it's a cheerful response in the Lord. And this is kind of the moment in the sermon where it's like we're going to talk about practice. Yes, practice the rest of the sermon. 
But what you've got to understand, if you do not know Jesus, everything starts in the Christian life with rejoicing in God. The Christian is the person who, yes, in our sin, we still struggle with things and sometimes it feels like we got to. But at the end of the day, if you follow Jesus, you have been bought by him and you love him. Your heart rejoices to be his child. You love him. So when your heart is often misdirected, there comes a point of repentance, no matter uh, uh, the situation or the circumstance, how bad it is. Paul said rejoice earlier in the letter when he was in prison. Right? He's writing this whole letter from prison. So the concept of rejoice is not attached to your circumstances. It's not attached to how well you're thought of in the community. Because there's probably Team Yoidia and Team Syntyche, don't you think? The rejoicing isn't in how it's going. It isn't how well you're thought of. It is in the Lord, no matter the circumstance. And that's because the cross, Jesus, is always present to you. You know him, agree, in the Lord. So I just want you to hear before we continue in this conversation about the presence we're practicing, that every person in this room who is a follower of Jesus had a moment in their life where God's presence went from a dread to something they longed for to something God saved them. There was a moment where that changed. There was a time I wanted nothing to do with the Lord, and now I rejoice. Sometimes it's a struggle to rejoice, amen. But when the Lord tells you to rejoice, I get there. He gets me there. And if you don't know that experience, you might not know Jesus. So, Port City, where do we, one more time, as we think about this book, this book of rejoicing, where do we need to lift our eyes? If you feel like you're in prison right now, rejoice. If you feel like you've got conflict with somebody, rejoice. If there's just strain on your soul, worship is your way out. Worship is always the recalibrator. It's always the thing that, that reorients our perspective Lift your eyes to the Lord, and then you're a little more sober when you look back horizontally. When you look at your circumstance the next time, it just takes on a little bit smaller because God has gotten bigger. Amen? So that is how we practice the gentle presence in the community of God is when God gets bigger than the people in the pew, right? That's how it happens, is that God gets bigger, and now our agreement is in the Lord. Amen? Okay, now let's, let's talk about practicing a united presence. Verses 6 and 7 are some of the most famous verses in the Bible. They talk about anxiety. Okay, I'm going to read them one more time. The Bible says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Even just reading that, you could probably tell why a lot of Christians put this one to memory, and I would encourage you to do that as well. But y'all, the word anxiety, what it means, old translations used to say, don't be careful for anything. It means don't be full of care. Like, don't be uh, uh, overloaded with fearful care. The anxious soul is a, the word literally means like divided soul. It's, a, it's, it's, it's in too many directions. It's, it's pulled. Does that make sense? It's a disintegrated, divided. It's, it's just a fractured uh, soul. So when God says, do not be anxious, he's saying, do not be divided. He's inviting you to a united soul. You see that? Some of what I want you even processing as we go through this is, what tone do you hear God saying to you, don't be anxious? Is it, don't be anxious? Or is it, don't be anxious? Like he, 
the, the, the heart God has is he wants you to be a united soul in him. He wants his peace guarding you. That's the goal as we start this conversation. It's not to beat you up. It's to unite you, to integrate you, to, you, to bring you together. So, so what, what an anxious soul is is divided, and what's causing that division is a fear. It's a worry. It is a sense that this unknown future I have on my mind, I can't handle. So if that were to come about, I could not handle that. So I cannot let go of the potential of that future. So I live in the fear of that potential future. So your soul starts to pull in different directions and it's on high alert. You know, we've, we've heard terminology of fight or flight. What's happening is physiologically down into your body in ways you can't even touch or feel necessarily, your body is protecting what feels like a threat, right? And so, depending on your background, even physiologically, your body might go and fight flight in ways you don't even know. And the call to not be anxious probably hits a little different depending on what's going on in your life, don't it? I want you to imagine two different people. One of them is me, okay, uh, type it away at my computer, and tempted to worry about a crawl space that is 100 years old, uh, and not feeling like I'm able to type my email, okay? That's one type of, the call comes to me to not be anxious, okay? Another one, on an opposite extreme, would be like a refugee, okay, who has traveled from their home. They are, let's say they're pregnant. Now, they are going miles on end to a place, left everything. You got one minute to grab something, get out, right? And in five years, what that child might be like and what mom might be like hearing do not be anxious is a little different than me at my desk drinking my coffee, typing away, and I have the thought of the fear of the crawl space, right? That shows that we're complex. This conversation is complex, and the call to not be anxious is multifaceted, and it's going to look a little different in different situations, but the, the spirit behind it from God is always invitation. Commands are invitations. It's an invitation to being united. It's not a command to not be divided. It's not just that. Let me say it like that. He's telling you not be divided. He's inviting you to be united. Are you with me? And so what you'll hear us say at Port City a lot is we are both wicked and weak. So in the one scenario, my scenario typing away, I am probably more on the wicked paradigm. If I continue to choose to set my mind on that and avoid the pre I can't be present with my kids, I can't be present with my wife or my church because of my choice to fearfully allow that potential future that I'm scared of to dominate my life. Are you with me? But to the other individual, it's a little more like, man, that's a weakness I think we all understand, you know? You're not exactly getting to be conscious of the voice you're reading to your child in your womb over with the book by your bedside at night. You don't even got no books. You're on the run, you know? So it's a little different. It's not that the call to, both, to one is invalid or the other. Your circumstances don't nullify God's word to you. They inform God's word to you, okay? Our worship is never nullified by our story or circumstance. They just inform what your worship's going to look like, okay? So, what I, the reason I say all that is this is not a formula that God is dropping on you and saying you better get in line and refugee woman, what is your problem? Why are you anxious? Are you tracking with me? And we got to be careful because we can, then what we'll do is we'll say the Bible is not for me, but my counselor is. Are you with me? Are you with me? If you hear God's tone as that, you'll not go to a, God's peace wants to guard you. Hey, y'all, I've been a counselor for seven years. Okay, like here, 
hear that correctly. You might need a certain arsenal with your story and your circumstances, your season. But just hear what I'm saying, that all of that plays into what you hear God saying, how you hear him saying it. And he wants you to be curious about your anxiety, and he wants to help you beat it. He doesn't want to beat you down for having it. Amen? That's why in the famous passage where Jesus talks about anxiety, he said, hey, man, come here. Consider them birds. Consider them. It's like, what does that mean? He said, just think about them. (laughs) Just think about them. He's not like, how dare you fools? I mean, he definitely has moments where he's like, y'all got a little faith, man. You know, but even in that, I wonder what our tone of Jesus is as we read our Bibles, right? I think he's just saying, y'all got a little faith, man. I think we're like, you little faith, you know? (laughs) And so I think he's like, consider the birds. Just consider them. Be curious about their view of reality and what they don't do, what they don't worry about. What you're going to find is something really cool. I, I stumbled across a poem this week I wanted to read to you. It was a, it's an a, imagining a conversation between two birds, okay? Looking at humans. Y'all ready? This was written in 1859, by the way. Pre-smartphone anxiety. Amen? <laughs> oh, Lord help us. Um, Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And y'all, what it gets at is that any way you slice it, any story, any circumstance, at the end, it is an entrusting. That's what it is. It's an entrusting to a God who is your father and loves you. And in a lot of ways, what, what this process we're given in verse, now that you have that sober mind of tone and thinking and informed, this is a really good process God's giving us. And a lot of your experience of the verses will hinge on your ability to cultivate this practice. And it hinges around two words, which are, please, and thank you. Uh, and when I hear those words, I think of Cocoa Melon, and my kids just going, please and thank you, please and thank you. I'm like, goodness. But think about those two words, because the Bible said, it said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. That's a fancy way of saying, don't be anxious, it's a thank you and a please combo. Okay? I want you to think about when you use the words please and thank you. You either say them to a fast food worker, like, can you please get me a number one, and here's the money, and oh, thank you. It's a transactional use of language out of formality and niceties, or you're doing it in a highly intimate setting, like a parent, child, a sibling. How many parents have sat down with their two kids being like, just say thank you to your brother? You know, like, think about how hard it is for that sibling to say it to the other one, right? I mean, just say thank you to me. Like, I just bought you like $8,000 worth of stuff. And then I said no to one piece of candy. All you want is a parent. It's just a thank you. Pleading for a thank you, right? (laughs) And it shows that it's highly intimate language, right? It's either I'm just using it to get what I want, or it's healthy marriages. There's a lot of please and thank yous. And unhealthy marriages... You go to like a kind of just secular marriage counseling, they give you strategies to fix stuff. They're going to be like, you need to like say thank you every once in a while. And they're like, 
thanks, sweetie, for doing the dishes today. It was great. And you're walking away as you say it, you know. So there's something to these words. And what God is doing through giving us this practice is saying, cultivate the ability to look up to me in any moment and say thank you. In any moment. You're not saying thank you after the please goes through. You see that? You're saying thank you and please at the same time. That's the Christian life. It's saying, God, thank you, and if nothing else ever comes, thank you. But please. (laughs) It's both. It's thank you here, thank you now. Please. Like, I know you love me, therefore I ask, and I trust how you're going to handle it, but I do ask. And thank you. Makes me think of Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's something in your soul where you look at what Jesus has done, at who he is, as you're reading his word, you're like, man, God is for me. I'm going to ask him for something. Can I do that, Lord? And he's like, yeah, and you do it. So it's this combination of getting to a place where you recognize you have been given so much, let's say thank you, and God wants to give so much, let's say please, and you just keep going back to that. That's why this can be a very helpful practice. So I don't know what anxiety looks like in your life right now, but that the peace of God wants to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus in a way that surpasses knowledge and understanding and ability to even talk about it right now. Number three, let's talk about practicing a thoughtful presence. It's very fitting that a conversation about anxiety flows into your thought life, right? Verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Y'all, part of what I think God is doing through a scripture like this by Paul writing it is he's trying to get us to imagine what our energy, our thought life energy becomes when it's not expelled in worry. Are you with me? Some of us are so gripped by worry all the time, we can't even imagine a world where my thoughts go to anything other than defending the potential collapse. (laughs) Right? And you see how all your energy was not meant to be used to defend your life. Are you with me? That once you're once you're the robin trusting yourself to the to the father, that now I got tons of energy to use on other things and think about and dream about. And just to be clear, this is not the Bible's version of Hakuna Matata. You know, it means no worries for the rest of your day. I don't know if you remember, Simba was a chump in that part of the movie, uh, right? I mean, Hakuna Matata was the low point of the movie. It's like, I appreciate Timon and Pumbaa, but you can't live that way, <laughs> right? It's not, the Bible is not, hey man, there's no problem here, we're good. Let's hit the beach. Just to be clear, because a little bit, you're like, oh, just think good things. No, 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 read your Bible. Um, I'm reading this morning. It'll, Jesus will walk in a room, it'll say he was grieved in his heart, and then he was angry, and then he was praying. He's like, oh, Jerusalem, I just wish y'all would like receive what the Lord wanted for you. Once you get to where your thought life is filled like this, your emotional life, you'll be happy, mad, sad, glad, lamenting, frustrated, praying heaven down on somebody on the same day, and that's godly. You feel me? Like your life should be more like the book of Psalms every day, and if it's not, you're not getting more human, you're getting less human. So this is not Hakuna Matata. Are you with me? This is fill your minds with kingdom of heaven stuff. And somewhat, we don't even know what that is. 
And this is the hardest thing to practice because there's very little payoff, functional, transactional payoff. What do I get for it? If I set my mind on that instead of that, what do I get for it? You just become somebody different. And in our current cultural climate, it takes more of a disproportionate amount of energy to set your mind on the kingdom of heaven than at many other times, or at least in a different way. I mean, it's a, people make money off of getting your thoughts, right? If we don't push on this really hard, we will drift to just being an American consumer, I promise you. We could sit in church our whole life and end up looking more like Sally Joe down the street than we do a New Testament Christian. And it's largely because of what we're setting our mind on. It's largely because the principle, you are what you eat. Physically and spiritually, you are what you eat, right? Your thoughts are what you eat, so to speak. Are you with me? What you feed your mind is who you're becoming. Show me your thoughts, I'll show you your future. That's who you are. What you set your mind on is taking you somewhere. As one of our... Uh, other pastors said this week as we were talking about this text, he said, it's hard for the Lord to occupy a preoccupied mind. So some of it isn't even just do a thought audit, is do a where would the Lord put his thoughts audit? When are you setting aside time to consider the birds? You know what I mean? When is there just quiet time? Not a quiet time, just quiet time. Where is there time he can fill? Where is there time he can enter? Where is there time we're just setting aside for him? and inviting them in, and setting our minds on Scripture. What is a better place in this conversation to think like God than to just store His Word up in our mind and our heart? The goal of storing God's Word in your mind is that you meditate on it, and then you just become it. The goal, again, the goal is not the practice. The goal is the presence the practice takes you to, right? Believers, what's so encouraging to us in this conversation is we're not doing this in our own strength. Because the beautiful, one of the beautiful things about what Christ has done and who he is, he's not just committed to paying for what's wicked and disgusting in you, he's committed to building something new in you. And so what that means is, is when you look at your past and you see the junk and you see the things, what God has done is pay the penalty for what you haven't been and should have been, but he's also paying the new path of the new person you're going to be. And when you get to the end, you look back and say, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Those thoughts were not mine. <laughs> I remember what my thoughts were at 18. Don't know about you. <laughs> and whatever good comes, he put in, right? It's like there's this, this open thing, and he's just pouring some stuff in. And it's amazing to think about that, because left to myself, thought life ain't going to get no better. And if you don't follow Jesus here today, I would just, I would challenge you. What is your hope for your future when you think about your thoughts, when you think about becoming somebody different or practicing a different way of thinking? How will you get there? Who will help you? Another book, a podcast, a, a, another practice of every time this, you know, another New Year's resolution of no cussing this year or no, uh, every time, think this, every time I take a left turn, you know, like, that's great. That's great. I got the spirit of God in me, you know. I got the normal processes and I got the supernatural processes. So I would just, I would just, I would challenge you like God wants to change everything about your life down to how you think. He doesn't just want to put you on Team Jesus and say, I got me another one. He wants his life in you and through you, with you, including your thought life. Lastly, let's talk about practicing the presence of God. Look at verse 9 with me. 
What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Pretty bold statement, Paul. Do what I've seen you do, and the God of peace will be with me? <laughs> That's what he said, right? Is this only true for people who got to see Paul? Are we in trouble? You know, like is this, we don't have this opportunity? I didn't see Paul walk the earth. Well, Pastor Kevin read it last week, but in chapter 3, verse 17, he said to the church, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk to the, according to the example you have in us. Here's kind of the idea, okay? When the early church is getting started, you have like the person of Jesus and the disciples and the teachings, and everything got attached to being in line with what he said, they said, Right? So the word of God, the disciples are a continuance for all times everywhere of that. And there's an agreed upon like orthodoxy and way of, of, of walking with him. So this applies forever. And we have a lot we've learned from Paul. Just read his letters. You can learn all kinds of stuff from him. You can learn from him, hear from him. You just can't see. That's the only one, right? Um, so there, there's a lot here for us. And again, the goal is the presence we become. Did you notice uh, that in the earlier verse, in verse 7, it said that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And now it says the God of peace will be with you. You see that? So when we're not anxious, God's peace is guarding us. When we think and put into practice with our hands and our bodies the things that the Lord has for us, actually he himself, the God of peace, will be with us. See that? How the, the intimacy is increasing as the, the passage moves on. Practices are always tied to presence, friends, or they become pointless practices. Some of you have felt that. I've been this way here in sermons before. Seven minutes in, I'm like, Lord, I know it. I need to read it more. I know it, Lord. But what we're doing is we just, we so can short-circuit the change process where we're like, we, we sent something in God's word, and they were like, here's what I'll do. We just jump all the way to something, and we cut out what he wants us to consider about who he wants us to become and conviction of sin and repentance and Jesus and spirit and all the things. And then we're like, okay. And it becomes a pointless practice because becoming who he is calling you to be in it never was actually what you were signing up for. Does that make sense? We can end up doing practices because we like that version of ourselves more. I don't know about you, I do that all the time. <laughs> I want to be able to say I did blank. That is subliminally my motive. Well, God's goal for you is the person you're becoming. That's where this thought life, these practices come from. We're quite literally practicing who he is into our presence. You see that? His presence becomes mine. So I think, just as a quick example, one way this could play out, okay? I think you could literally just start with, God, like if you are a follower of Jesus, because if you're not, his presence is not accessible to you right now. You need to repent and believe and trust him. But if you are a follower of Christ and you know him, start with a simple question like, God, what are you doing when I walk in every single room? Just walk in a room and say, God, what are you doing here? And God, what are you doing in me? Some of it is that Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So in some ways, this is no different than him saying he'd be with us, but this is an experiential closeness that I think he wants us to have. Are you with me? So I think it just starts with a discerning what God is doing. God, what are you doing in this room, in this person, in this conversation, in me? 
And again, a lot of times it takes, it takes a quiet life of processing with your Bible open and a pen, and it takes a life of consideration to get there. And it's just, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? You say you'll be with me. You say you'll be with me, God of peace. Where are you? Help me. Help me. And you're going to need other people, right? If, if he's saying y'all kind of need the example you have in me, we need the example we have in each other, church. So somewhat grab somebody. Talk about the presence you want, and then y'all can land on a practice together. It doesn't have to be indetermined forever. We are so good at, hey, here's this thing I want to do. Hold me accountable, and that's the end of the conversation forever. How many of y'all have ever done that with another brother or sister in Christ? Hey, I want to, I really want to do X thing. Hold me accountable. <laughs> and uh, never talk about it again. Amen? Um, so grab somebody and say, hey, here is the area of my life I'm struggling to be the presence of God at all in this co-worker relationship, not even just at work. What does that mean? You know, like where, why, when, what at work? And then get real granular, ask for their help, and then grab a practice and say, let's practice this practice so that I can become the presence. Amen? And guys, I want to, as, as we begin to shift about uh, concluding here, I want to remind you that God will not love you if you practice his presence more will experience the love he already has for you more, Christian. Now, the gospel is that Christ died for you at your lowest sinful moment. Not because of how put together you are. We practice his presence to enter it, not to earn it. We practice to enter what we've been given, not to earn what we haven't been given. He wants to give you himself. The Bible calls him the God of peace. Somebody say peace. I don't know about you, but I'm longing for peace. You think everybody's longing for peace? Everybody on your kids' soccer team, every parent standing there watching them with you, every coworker you got, everybody in the city is longing for peace. And let me tell you another secret. All of them think they're on the path to find it. All of them. Look at their thoughts, look at their life, look at their practices, even you right now. You are striving for peace, and somewhat we all think we know how to get there. Peace is only with God. He is the God of peace. And I just, wanna, I just want us to dream, Christians. I want you to hear that God wants his peace to be your experience, not an idea, to be your reality. I just want to invite us to press into the Lord in that kind of way of like, Lord, give me that. You said you want me to have it. Give it to me, please. I need your peace. I don't have it. I need you to guard me with it, verse 7, and I need you to give it to me, verse 9. Please, God, I want to know you in this way. And if you do not follow Jesus, or even if you are a follower, I just want to tell you you're not going to find peace in that dream job. You will not. You will not find it in the next phase of your life or the next house or the next thing. It's not coming. The beautiful thing about this passage is it starts with a disagreement, it talks about being divided in our minds and in our inner world, and it ends with the God of peace will be with you. God is inviting us to radical life with him in your seat where you are, not in that dream future where everything is perfect with him and you've been living in the mountains for 10 years straight. You know what I mean? He wants this life for you where you are now in the context of everyday life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Poor city, let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for this invitation to live with you, God of peace. The, the God who sleeps on a boat when there's a storm going on. The God who uh, we wake up and say, don't you care that we are perishing? 
stay back. Peace be still. You still have such little faith. God, it just reminds me that you're, you're, God, you're inviting us to see that you care, that you love us, that you want nothing but the best for us. And you're just different. You're holy. You see things different. Stuff don't stress you out. It stresses us out. Help us to learn to wait on you, King Jesus. Help us to uh, listen to you. God, would you unite our hearts and minds? We are so pulled in 50 million directions. Real functionally between a phone and just, just media in this cultural moment, but then in our inner world, Lord. When the lights go out, there's a reason, God, they call it solitary confinement. We struggle to be on our own. We struggle with it, Lord, and our thoughts can be our worst enemy. God, we pray that we become our greatest asset in this walk with you, in this life with you. God, fill us with your thoughts. Fill us with what's good. Fill us with your word. Fill us with uh, the practices and the things we need to uh, to become what we desperately want to become, which is an embodiment, and extension of you. God, we want to live life with you. God, I pray for any friend in here who is just desperately looking for peace. Help them to hear and know that they will find it nowhere else but with you and that you freely offer it to them, not when they clean themselves up, but right here, right now. So, Lord God, have your way in us. God, give us real practical uh, ways you want us to apply this. God, help us to take heart that you want us to enter your presence. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.